from WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, WOUB reporter Sarah Donaldson takes us to an OU tradition fully back for the first time since the pandemic. We're hoping to kind of get back to what we're used to, and we're hoping to introduce new international students to what we usually do here at OU. And Brian Kerp and Maria Manessi catch us up on Ohio softball's recent success which was super exciting. They were jumping up and down. I know it started to sprinkle at the end. It was really exciting to see that because I didn't know, like, that was big for them to come back at the end of it. And then... These stories are more right here on The Outlet. Excitement grew in Athens for the return of International Week after a two-year hiatus of in-person celebrations. WUB reporter Sarah Donaldson takes us out to College Green, where flags fly from nations around the world, representing OU's international community. Monday kicks off a week-long tradition that goes back more than 40 years at Ohio University, International Week. We all come together as one to celebrate international students, to celebrate different cultures. And with the last two years hindered by the COVID-19 pandemic, international students like Kiyakudu from Botswana say iWeek's return feels like a breath of fresh air. We're hoping to kind of get back to what we're used to, and we're hoping to introduce new international students to what we usually do here at OU. The week is defined by the exploration of unfamiliar cultures and the chance to bring different communities together. It's the common culture, or it's the shared culture between international students here at Ohio University and the people at Athens. Kudu and other student leaders put up more than 100 international flags on Ohio University's College Green for the day. ISU leaders also handed out Turkish coffee in the bitter cold this morning. International Week comes to a close with the International Street Fair Saturday. Global cultures converge on Court Street with food, music, and dance. But Kudu says it's an opportunity for international students to give back what they receive year-round. I always say that I love Athens because of the Titan community. So I'm able to like go to any event, like uh, I think Brew Week, they have it as, as an Athens uh, event. I'm able to like go there and just experience American culture. And then when we have events as international students, we're able to invite the whole community to come. So, Ohio lawmakers introduced a bill that would prohibit discussion of gender and sexual orientation from kindergarten until third grade. The State House News Bureau reports House Bill 616 is similar to language used in Florida, known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. It is also similar to legislation that has appeared in other states. The bill allows parents to file complaints with the State Board of Education against a school or teacher. Schools could lose funding and individual teachers could lose their license. The legislation also revives a previously introduced ban on teaching critical race theory. LGBTQ advocates spoke against the bill as soon as it was introduced. Public Policy and Communications Organizer for Equality Ohio, Catherine Poe, says preventing children from discussing these topics prevents them from discussing their experiences as well as their home lives. President of the Ohio Education Association, Scott DeMauro, says they are concerned about the impact a bill like this could have on children and teenagers who identify as LGBTQ+. If the bill passes, he says teachers might be so consumed with fear that it distracts them from performing their job to the best of their ability. An employee of Athens County Children's Services was charged late last month with obstructing justice in the investigation of alleged rape of a child in foster care by another foster child. 
Athens County Prosecutor Keller Blackburn says the charge relates to efforts to question a suspect in the alleged rape. WUB reporter David Forster sat down with digital news editor Aaron Payne to explain the case and how it relates to a nationwide discussion of children's Miranda rights. Several employees raised objections to the boy being interviewed by law enforcement without having an attorney present. And one of those employees, Jamie Mays, actually went beyond simply raising objections to allegedly telling law enforcement that the boy was no longer in Athens County and that he was actually somewhere else in a residential treatment facility. It turns out that the boy actually was in Athens County attending school. That's where law enforcement found him. Mays has been charged with obstructing justice based on the lie she allegedly told to law enforcement. She has resigned and the criminal case against her remains under investigation. The boy, who is 12 years old, was ultimately questioned alone. And according to Athens County Prosecutor Keller Blackburn, the boy will likely soon be charged with rape and gross sexual imposition involving multiple children in the foster care system. So as I understand, the law is clear that children in Ohio have no automatic right to have an attorney present when being interrogated in a criminal investigation. How did the law come to that? Okay, yeah. So to understand the law in Ohio, we have to go back to Miranda itself. So in 1966, the Supreme Court issued what has come to be known as our Miranda rights, right? The right to remain silent and the right to have an attorney. And these rights apply equally to both adults and children. Although the Supreme Court has made clear that with children, law enforcement needs to take extra measures to make sure that a child is mature enough to understand their rights. But the important thing to remember with Miranda is that it establishes a floor, right? This is a baseline of protection for adults and children who are being interrogated as part of a criminal investigation. States can offer more protections if they wish. Uh, in 2011, the Ohio Supreme Court made clear that uh, in Ohio, there is no automatic right for a child who's being interrogated as part of a criminal investigation. There is no automatic right for that child to have an attorney present. You talked to Athens County Prosecutor Keller Blackburn for this story. What do prosecutors like Blackburn think of the way the law is structured for children's rights to an attorney? So like many prosecutors, Blackburn argues that there is a remedy built into the law. If a particular child was in fact not mature enough to fully appreciate and understand their Miranda rights, that child's attorney can go to the judge later and, and argue that the any statements given by the child, and in particular we're talking about any incriminating statements given by the child to police during that interrogation, should simply be suppressed. And that does happen in, in cases where a judge will make a determination that in this particular case with this particular child, the child simply was not mature enough to understand what they were doing when they waived their rights. And the judge will suppress their statements. So at the center of this criminal charge against the Athens County Children's Services former employee and the disagreement between staff members of Children's Services and law enforcement is the process of bringing a child in for questioning. So what is the process right now to bring a child in for questioning? Okay. So cases that involve suspected sexual abuse involving a foster child are handled by a task force. 
And the members of this task force include employees of Children's Services, people from the prosecutor's office, the sheriff's office, and then there's other other people also involved in this in this task force. In this case, it was during a meeting of this task force that law enforcement officers were trying to find out where this foster boy was. And according to Prosecutor Blackburn, it was at this meeting that Jamie Mays said she did not want law enforcement interviewing the child and then allegedly misled officers about the boy's whereabouts. When officers later found the boy at school, school officials contacted the boy's foster parents, which is the protocol for schools to do. The foster parents objected to the boy being interviewed. They had already been contacted by children's services who had encouraged them to object to having the boy be interviewed. The boy was taken back to the sheriff's office for questioning, and Blackburn says at that point, an employee of Children's Services called the sheriff's office and asked that the boy not be questioned unless he had an attorney present. Uh, another employee from Children's Services went down to the sheriff's office, again, asked that an attorney be present or otherwise that this employee be allowed to be in the interrogation room with, with the boy when he was questioned. The decision was made that allowing the Children's Services employee into the interrogation room would interfere with the process, and so the boy was questioned alone. Where were the children's services employees coming from when they were fighting for the boy to have representation during the questioning? I talked to Otis Crockren, who's the executive director of Athens County Children's Services. He can't talk about the details of specific cases involving foster children because of the confidentiality rules in place regarding children in the foster care system. But he did say that his employees did not try to prevent the boy from being questioned. What they were trying to do was make arrangements for the boy to have to have an attorney present or at least to have a caseworker from Children's Service present during the, during the interview. Crockern said in, in situations where a child is going to be interviewed by law enforcement, their goal is to look out for the welfare of the child. This is their role as the foster agency. And in particular, they're concerned about minimizing trauma for the child because most cases children in, in foster care have already experienced, in, in many cases, you know, severe trauma already. Once it became clear that their efforts were not going to be successful, Crockern said his employees did not try to interfere with the boy being questioned by, by law enforcement. There's a nationwide movement of advocates trying to make the right to representation mandatory for children. How is it progressing? I should first note that their central argument is that most children are simply not mature enough to fully appreciate rights and what it means to give them up. Children are raised to be deferential to adults. They're more susceptible to pressure. And children tend to be focused more on short-term benefits rather than long-term consequences. And what advocates say is studies have shown that children are more prone to making false confessions in some cases because they are, are, are trying to give adults the answers it looks like they want, or they're just simply trying to get themselves out of the immediate situation and, and go home. Several states already have laws on the books requiring that a parent be present, that a child be able to consult with their parent or foster parent before being interrogated. Advocates argue that that's not enough that the interests of, of children and their parents aren't necessarily always aligned when it comes to a situation like this. Um, the argument is that 
in most cases, parents will simply encourage their children to do what they always tell their children to do, which is tell the truth. While that's certainly a policy that we probably all want our children to follow, reform advocates say that in this legal situation, in a situation where a child might be charged with a crime, an immediate confession, legally speaking, in terms of how the legal system operates, may not be their best course of action. What they want to see is a requirement that children be able to consult with an attorney before they're interrogated, which will almost then certainly lead to the attorney being present during the interrogation. That's certainly what the, the attorney is going to advise the child. Two states, California and Washington, have already passed such laws requiring that the child be able to consult with an attorney before being interrogated, and that right cannot be waived. The Maryland legislature just last week passed a law requiring the same that is now awaiting the governor's signature and proposed laws in New York and the District of Columbia that would impose similar requirements uh, also seem to have some traction. In Ohio, there's no movement in this direction as of now. And I'm joined by WUB Sports Director Brian Kerp. And today we're going to talk about softball. So, Brian, tell me about the first softball game of the series on Tuesday. Yeah, we were kind of fortunate that that game got put in just because of all the bad weather that's been going on. You know, it's kind of the main theme that's been going on throughout uh, this whole spring. But thank goodness I got to play on Tuesday. And, you know, obviously with it being a little cold, you know, a little rainy, uh, not much offense going on. But, hey, Ohio took home the 2-1 to victory. Uh, they scored their two runs in the second and third innings. Uh, the winning run was in the third inning. Uh, that was Yasmin Logan, who doubled to right field, and that scored Allie England. But really the hero of the game was pitcher Mackenzie Cole. She went to complete seven innings, gave up six hits, struck out six, and just gave up one earned run. You know, that's a performance that the Bobcats are going to need to keep things going. And, hey, they continue to keep climbing up those standings. So, you know, Tuesday was a happy Tuesday for uh, the Bobcats, starting off the series well against the Zips. I'm also joined by Maria Manessi, and we had a twin bill on Wednesday. How'd that go? Yeah, it went really well. Um, the Bobcats were able to sweep Akron. Um, they played them on Tuesday and won that game. And then yesterday was super exciting. I know the rain, they were worried about that because the weather's been really crappy this week. But um, they were able to get both games in. The first game, Ohio was down like 3-0 for most of the game. And they scored all three runs to tie it up in the seventh inning. And then, which took them to extra innings, and they held Akron. Akron got on base a couple times in the top of the eighth, but couldn't score. And then when Ohio was up to bat, they were on fire, and um, they had a home run that was able to win it and brought home two runs. So then they ended up winning 6-3, to three, which was super exciting. They were jumping up and down. I know it started to sprinkle at the end. It was really exciting to see that because I didn't know, like, that was big for them to come back at the end of it. And then they carried that into the second game of the Twin Bill where they won 2-0. And it was also just super exciting. I know another home run, Analia Paoli had that home run. And then there was just two runs scored in that game, but it was still super exciting for them to get both of those runs and get the series sweep. And now I think they have a five-game win streak, uh, and that's just super exciting for them. And so, Brian, looking ahead, what's coming up? Yeah, so as Maria mentioned, Ohio's on a five-game winning streak. Uh, it's now 7-4 and four in the MAC, uh, third place. Uh, very good seeding right now uh, as they're heading down the home stretch of conference play. 
But yeah, over the weekend, they play Ball State. Uh, that will be a doubleheader on Sunday. And then they play another doubleheader with them, according to the schedule, on Monday. So from what it looks like, it's going to be a four-game series between the Bobcats and Cardinals. You know, for Ohio, try to get on to that winning streak even more, build that up to, you know, maybe nine games. And then next weekend, on Easter weekend, the Bobcats will host Central Michigan, so they'll return to the friendly confines of the Ohio softball field to see if keep the momentum going, you know, getting down to the last final weeks of the season, trying to get that record up and getting a decent seat heading into uh, the tournament play. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Atish Badia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at newswatch underscore woub. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio. 